welcome to the Empower Hair Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Aoife, and this is episode number 58. And on today's episode, we are speaking with clinical nutritionist Carissa Mason, all about bloating and gut health. Now, just a reminder, if you are a long-time listener to the podcast and you haven't already done so, I'd really appreciate it if you can give me a rating and share it. It's the best way to support the podcast as I run this for free, just so I can help you to understand evidence-based nutrition and not be sold by any of the myths and fads out there. With that being said, if I get enough support, I can keep putting energy into creating new episodes next year and devote more time out of my working week to bring on new guests to help you as well. So taking that two minutes to either rate the podcast on iTunes or share it on Instagram will be hugely appreciated. Now, you might remember Carissa from episode number 46, where we talked about PCOS. Well, we had so much fun and such a good chat that we said we'd do another episode about a topic that you all wanted to hear more on. So I asked the question in my Empower Her Fitness Facebook group, and you can find the link to that group in the show notes below if you haven't already joined. And I put a poll up there and bloating and gut health was the winning topic. So Carissa is going to chat all about what exactly bloating is and how to treat it as it is something that she sees a lot in her clinic. So welcome to the podcast, Carissa. Thanks, Aoife. It's lovely to be back. Yeah, welcome back again. Uh, So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, gut health and mainly like the area of bloating, because I think that's a big one for quite a lot of women in particular. And um, maybe before we get into that, if you want to just do a quick introduction to yourself for anyone who didn't hear you on the last episode that we recorded, uh, where we talked about PCOS. Perfect. Um, hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Carissa. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a nutritionist. Um, probably should say accredited nutritionist, definitely practicing. Um, I've been in private practice now for, I think, eight years and obviously have specialized in digestive health and then in hormones as well. So... Yeah, I practice in a clinic and mostly in a clinic in Brisbane City um, called the JCN Clinic. And we're a crew of crew of girls who all love nutrition and everything that it does. And we were all little gut health nerds. So, yeah, so we're right up to date with um, all the functional testing that comes with that. And, the you know, the space probably has a lot of noise, I think, online, but we definitely... Um, I would say like to see through a lot of the fads and what works and what doesn't. And we're very much about a science-based approach, but also we, yeah, we just love the space and are pretty up to date with it all. So I think that's kind of us, me, them, us. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Well, tell me, what are the main issues that you see then when it comes to gut health? Because I know that's one of the areas that you really deal with. Mm, yeah so predominantly I would say um, people come in and it's more yeah their digestive digestive system isn't working properly so they've either been diagnosed with IBS or um, sometimes the more IBD like inflammatory bowel disease things like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis so I definitely deal with that spe- that end of the spectrum as well but more commonly I would say I deal with um, the IBS style presentation so once inflammatory bowel disease has been ruled out um, and then the symptoms that probably come with that more so is definitely bloating as you mentioned before like people come in and they're bloated um chronic constipation or constipation um our diarrhea or like let's call it loose bowels basically so you know alternating bowels so that's a typical ibs sort of sort of symptom um and then yeah um bowel smelling gas reflux heartburn basically anything that happens in the digestive tract is what we deal with so yeah and we definitely um I would say 
we we do like the diagnosis of IBS because at least it's it gives someone an idea that yes something is going on it's obviously stands for irritable bowel syndrome for anyone who's kind of new to the acronym acronym and the gut space but we definitely think IBS is just a bit of an umbrella slash blanket term for obviously something's going on with your gut and then that's where we come in and we like to actually find out what it is so what's causing these bloating symptoms or what's causing this constipation and diarrhea or what's what, what basically what's causing what's going on for for the people that come in because usually we can get to the bottom of that and it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to these like gastrointestinal symptoms that you know can really um, really wreck people's lives. Like your digestive system is is everything for your for your health and how you feel every day and your energy. And if you're constantly having issues with that, like it it starts to get people down. So we like to get people back to a place where it's not. <laughs> awesome. And I think like a good thing you mentioned there was like how much it does impact like your life and everything else because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are now becoming beginning to realize how much gut health like impacts their hormones and everything. And I think that's yeah. a big link that people need to be aware of, you know, where if they do have gut issues, it's not something you just have to live with. You are better off like trying to find out what the root cause of it is and fix 100%. that. hundred percent. And there, there always is a root cause. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. sometimes there's several, but there is always a driver or a couple of drivers for what is causing these gut symptoms so yeah I totally agree with you we said this all the time like uh, an upset gut and gut issues are not something that you should just be told you have to live with I really get upset when I hear that people have just been told by their doctor or their gastroenterologist you've just got IBS and there's not much we can do about it you've just got to live with this and I really don't think that's the case and how do you go about getting to the root cause of the problem Mm. yeah so a couple of things um Clinical case taking is is probably the first and foremost. Um, we, as you know, doing consult uh, the consultation process with, with us when we're talking when we're dealing with hormones and all of that. Like we spend a lot of time with our clients. We're not just um, come in for half an hour and and see you later. Like our first consultation or my first consultation with a client when they come is anywhere from you know an hour through to an hour and a half if it's needed. And we do in that time spend a lot of time talking about the various bodily body systems and how they're functioning. And a big part of that is your digestive system. So. We get into the nitty gritty of that and it's not just, oh, it's not just a couple of, you know, very baseline questions like I'm going to ask you, do you get bloating? And if you say to me, yes, I'm going to ask you what type. And if you don't know what that means, I'm going to give you some suggestions because the more you get to into the gut health space and you understand, you know, um, what drivers cause different things, you can start to get a lot, even just from the clinical case taking picture as to potentially what may be these drivers for someone. So let's just use bloating as an example, because that's what we're going to talk about mostly today. Anyway, if someone comes into me and they're like, I'm just, I'm just bloated all, I'm just bloated all the time. I'm like, cool. Well, tell me what that's like for you. Because obviously everyone's idea of bloating is different and how bloating feels for people is different, is very different as well. So we have we call it a couple of different types of bloat <laughs> um, in the clinic. So we have like when you kind of think about your abdominal section. So obviously we're talking about from underneath our rib cage or for girls, even just like underneath underneath your boobs, um, down to sort of you know your pelvic region, where obviously um, you know that's like your lower abdomen and into your pelvic region. So so there's different types of bloating. Like there is bloating. Sometimes girls will wake up or women, girls, however we want to call ourselves, will wake up with a um, will wake up with a flat stomach and then they will just bloat as the day goes on. And by the sometimes by the end of the day. 
They're not so much bloated at the top of their abdomen, but they add abdomen, speak Carissa, it's Friday. Um, they're bloated down the bottom. So they've got this, you know, this hard sort of, they will tell me they look three months pregnant or six months pregnant by the end of the day. So that's one type of bloating. We have another type of bloating. I call it the SIBO bloat. So SIBO is a condition that a lot of a lot of people have. It stands for um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But that's where we're starting to see impacts from the small digestive or the small intestines as well actually start to play a role in how bloating can manifest. So what we see there is sometimes it's they may people may wake up with a flat stomach and they bloat as the day goes on, but it's it's almost like I call it a full gut bloat. It's like someone's kind of got a bit of a like a, a bike pump in there and just into the side of side of you and they've just slowly pumped your belly up with air over the day. And then, you know, and for some women this can just be a little bit, but they're definitely a lot more bloated. It is a whole and it does involve a lot of their a lot of their stomach area. Um, some women it's so hard and it's so swollen that you can actually see that they can feel the pressure like their entire gut is hard and swollen and that can be sometimes be from the rib cage out and so then you know and they're just almost literally like oh people explain it to me like someone's pumped a soccer ball up inside them and they can't get rid of it so there's that type of bloating as well so that hopefully answers that yeah <laughs> so how do we, yeah, wow. yes, yeah so just even getting into the bloating space like if we're going through digestive problems and trying to find out drivers like I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about what's going on for them and I have a lot of very specific questions based on years of working in this space you start to get a real anecdotal and obviously research-based feel but a real anecdotal feel for how things play out for people and you know that does start to point us in the direction of what may be going on um, next to that is once we've kind of, you know, um, had a bit good chat about what I think could be going on for these people, you know, or what they potentially have concerns about or things that they've noticed. Um, we then potentially, not for all of my clients, but I do love it, um, is we step into the testing space and we have a we start to have a look at the gut microbiome and what could be going on for people. So we have some access to some really good functional stool tests. We have access to, um, you know, um, breath tests. So there's obviously H. pylori breath tests. There's um, small intestinal bacterial, so SIBO breath tests where you drink different solutions and how your gas in your, like your breath responds in terms of parts per million, in terms of, you know, bacterial, um, I just like, what do you call it? Like methane gases and hydrogen gases give us an idea of the presence of bacteria in your small bowel. Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff. Lots wow. of stuff. Okay, it's so complex. <laughs> yeah, I know. So would you say like um, most commonly when a, a client comes in with bloating problems, it will be caused by some sort of bacterial issue in the gut or is it more along the lines of what they're eating and their diet? Yeah, so sometimes a bit from column A or sometimes specifically column A, sometimes specifically column B and sometimes a combination of the two. So sometimes it can literally just be something someone's eating. So let's just say you have a gluten sensitivity or you have um, gluten is probably the easiest one to sort of pick there. Like let's just say someone comes in and they are the classic gluten bloat would be more I'm, I wake up with a flat stomach and then by the end of the day I'm quite hard and bloated down the bottom um, and I'm not quite sure why and I, we go through someone's diet and I'm like, okay, what are some of your other symptoms? And, yeah, and then sometimes so what we'll do there and if I don't feel like testing is needed is we'll just remove that food for a period of time and not change too much else and just sort of see if that alleviates their bloating for them. And if that is 
it, then that is awesome. It's just a food-based food based intolerance that's creating a bit of an inflammatory reaction, reaction in the gut. And we then will use some supplements and stuff to calm that down and do some food education as to how, how they can best avoid that food, but also nutritionally still maintain a beautiful whole food carbohydrate intake if you're removing something like gluten so that's that's all very important but sometimes we have you know several food intolerances causing bloating so that is you know something that obviously we can use testing and good case taking to work out um, sometimes we have bacterial bacterial overgrowth and yeast overgrowth and parasitic things going on which we can usually pick up in testing and that can definitely cause different types of bloating um and perhaps yeah. on that one then how important would you say like if it is a case that a person like is suffering from like digestive issues or ongoing bloating and they've just really tried to live with it for quite some time the doctors told them maybe it's IBS and given them some medication but it's not really gotten to the bottom of it like what impact is that going to have on their overall health if they don't actually get to the root cause of it yeah um good question it really it really does depend on the severity of it and and what's what's causing it. Um, some people, look, some people will get through a good majority of their life, and if they're just a little bit bloated and it doesn't have many too too many far-reaching effects systemically for them, and the bloating's of a more benign sort of cause, like let's just say it's a slight gluten sensitivity as opposed to something like SIBO that actually, you know, infects the entire gastrointestinal tract or the small intestinal tract, then the health implications may not be as bad for someone who just ignores that. However, I would say, I would go as far as to say that they're probably not going to feel at their best or at their optimal the majority of the time. So what I would say there is, you know, they, they health implication wise, they may be okay. They may have some malabsorption of nutrients. They may have some low-grade, you know, um, you know, impact to the gastrointestinal lining, whether that manifests as anything in later in life. You know, that's obviously dependent on some other factors. Um, but, yeah, so for some people, they may just not live their best life <laughs> and they may not know any different. And sometimes people don't know any different, like what's your normal and what you live with until you know better is just what you live with. Um, but then obviously if it, if it's pretty chronic bloating and there's other gut stuff going on, I'm going to, I would say nine times out of 10 bloating comes coupled with other gut issues. You, a lot of people aren't just bloated, they're bloated and constipated or they're bloated and they've got loose bowels or they're bloated and they've got reflux. So it's usually a little bit more beyond that. And it's coupled with some other symptoms. And usually when you've got that coupling of other symptoms, there's some other stuff going on. And that's what you want to get to the bottom of. And how that plays out for someone across the lifespan is really determined on, you know, environmental factors, stress factors, and some other things as well. So, but I think if you sort it out, you can feel pretty bloody good. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely the big thing. Yeah, because I think a lot yeah. of people do suffer from these sort of issues of digestive discomfort mm. or bloating, you know, and probably just grown to live with it and not mm. uh, realize that they can have so much better energy levels and so on if they do get it looked into and get it fixed. And um, something else you mentioned there was um SIBO and a little bit on how that impacts um, a person's digestive system. Mm. So do you want to explain that to us a little more? Yeah, so SIBO, as I mentioned before, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So that is that's usually when um, there's an overgrowth of the bacteria that are usually present in the small bowel that have become overgrown, or there's a translocation of the bacteria in the large bowel that have moved up into the small bowel and are calling that their home. Um, and that can happen for heaps of reasons, um, you know, 
chronic diarrhea, chronic constipation, any damage to the ileocecal valve, which is the valve between the small and large intestine. Um, just in terms of the difference between the small and large intestine, like the large intestine is home to trillions of bacteria and the small intestine comparatively is something like maybe uh, like 10% of that. So, you know, some people say that small intestine is relatively sterile compared to the large intestine, which is obviously not the case because there's still probably millions of bacteria and there's just not trillions. But essentially what happens is, you know, SIBO presents for someone as they've got very chronic IBS. So they have a lot of issues with a lot of food. So these are people that classically, you know, would do better on a low FODMAP diet for a period of time, not a long time. We don't advocate anyone being on a FODMAP diet for a long time, but, you know, they would report things like they've always got loose bowels and they're always, you know, they can have a glass of water and they feel full um, or they feel bloated or uh, the garlics and onions set them off, you know, horribly and they've got this horrible, you know, smelly gas or, you know, flatulence um, or they're chronically constipated is the other side of SIBO where they're producing a lot of methanogenic gas and it just locks their whole gut up and they might they may not poo for three or four days or sometimes seven days plus you know so so how that affects your health is is so far reaching like it's you know when you think about your gut as being the and we now know and research is really starting to prove like how important our gut is and so much more important than just beyond absorbing nutrients like it interacts with our immune system it interacts with our nervous system it interacts with our you know our it you know, plays a big role in transportation and communication, you know, with even just taking things up to the liver and or chatting with the liver and nutrients. So there's just, there's so much that happens at that gut level. And if you've got this really chronically inflamed gastro, like gut picture, then there's so many multi, there's so many systems that then become impacted and by that. So like a lot of autoimmune conditions begin in the gut, like a lot of, you know, mental health conditions can definitely begin in the gut. Um, obviously, there's other parts that come into play, but if you can get that gut level a lot more balanced and a lot more right um, and a lot more harmonious where someone's got a, a mostly symptom-free gut then and calm down a lot of that inflammation, then the crosstalk between the gut and the immune system is a lot happier and there's you know it's not as triggering and then that crosstalk between the gut and the enteric nervous system which sits inside our gut and communicates with our you know central nervous system and our peripheral nervous system and all of that that's a lot more harmonious as well so yeah and then obviously inflammation and cardiovascular disease and all of that so yeah it, just, it goes on it's all linked yeah absolutely linked. and i know something you often talk about is how like gut health can be an underlying factor when it comes to hormone issues as well yes and massively so- Maybe we can segue into that a little bit. Let's segue into that. What a can of worms. Um, Yeah, so obviously I always, I can't remember if we covered this in our last podcast, but I always say to people like, again, we're looking at your gut as, you know, the big dictator in terms of so many things that are going on. But you've also got to think of your gut as your phase three detox station as well. So our liver, which plays this beautiful primary role in phase one and phase two detox, it has to pass a lot of stuff out into the gut. So if your gut is not eliminating properly, I'm going to loop this back into the hormone space, but if your gut is not eliminating things properly or there's inflammatory processes happening there and there's things going on at those tight gap junctions at the gut wall lining excuse me, level and stuff like that, where we can see permeability or toxins going back out into the bloodstream, then that all impacts our hormones. So our hormones are not just our reproductive hormones, our hormones are cortisol hormones, which is obviously our stress hormones and our insulin, which is our blood sugar hormone and our, you know, our thyroid hormones and, um, 
think, yeah, it's basically heaps. <laughs> so so be, even beyond just reproductive, the reproductive space, like if there's an inflammatory process happening in the gut, then that is going to impact, it's going to create a stress. And if you're creating a stress, you're triggering a cortisol response. Or if there's inflammation happening or your body's under stress and it's creating extra fat cells, you know, it will potentially make more estrogen to store and to store you know, make more fat cells to store estrogen in because if estrogen gets recycled at the gut level as opposed to eliminated due to an, an unhappy or an unhealthy gut, you know, we can see um, estrogen excess is happening. And, yeah, so it's just it's so much that it there's so many ways that, yeah, if your gut is inflamed, it can definitely, yeah, just impact the whole hormone cascade on so many levels. So firstly, from a the liver trying to pack up package up hormones and just eliminate their metabolites but also to if it can't do that and it sends those hormone metabolites back out into circulation then the liver has to deal with them twice and you can end up with hormone excesses in areas but also just that inflammatory response at the gut level can trigger cortisol responses and throw all your hormones off so i hope i answered that yeah, in yeah, the right way yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah very big question a lot of factors can be influenced that's for sure um and then I think leading on from that, then maybe we can chat a bit about what somebody who's listening could be doing to improve their gut health. You know, if they feel like, you know, they have like some mild symptoms, not requiring any like, you know, immediate attention, mm. but just like some mild um, gut symptoms, like, is there anything they could be doing nutritionally, diet wise yes. to help with yeah. their digestion? Yeah, definitely. Um, heaps, actually. So I always say to people, the first thing is just keep it simple. Um don't feel like at the starting stages, if you're starting out a gut journey and you're like, I just want to improve my, my general gut health, um, that you need to go crazy. Like just keep it simple, focus on whole foods, um, focus on ditching, ditching the package stuff, ditching the crap, um, anything ultra processed, um, get rid of refined sugar and focus on, you know, your macro balance, macro balance meals. And I'm sure you've done podcasts on this yourself. Cause I know we're both pretty passionate about our macros. Yeah. Um, so just just focus on focus on the fundamentals of eating first and get that right. And then if you feel like you've still got some some niggling issues, um, then potentially start looking at okay, when when do these niggling issues occur? Is it after having this food? And maybe you can keep a bit of a symptom a symptom diary that sometimes helps for people. And if you can work it out yourself, great. Like if you're like okay, well I might just try pulling um, wheat out of my diet for three weeks and I'll just see how I feel if I don't have any wheat and I'll focus on things like brown rice and buckwheat and sorghum and, you know, spelt or something like that or I'm getting a lot of reflux and loose bowels and maybe I'm lactose intolerant so I might just remove lactose for a three-week a three week trial period and see if I do generally feel better off and see if there's, excuse me, some alleviation in my symptoms. So you can definitely do these little at-home trials yourself and just kind of see if see if it does if it does help um there's depth so that's a great way to sort of see if you can improve your health your gut health in any way shape or form another thing is just um i always say to people like just keep it really simple but just focus on um taking the time to eat properly which i think a lot of people don't do it is so simple but yeah like i think a lot we're so busy these days everyone's eating on the go or skipping meals or rushing around and just palming food into their face like our, our body and our hormone system responds really well to routine um it and loves i think like uh, mindfulness around eating as well so many people will, literally what when they're just watching tv or you know on the go and not be mindful about what they're eating and actually chew their food 
Yeah, 100%. It is a massive one. Like you've got to, I spend, I do chat to a lot to my clients about this and you can see this in testing when like pancreatic elastase is low or, you know, there's carbohydrate, um, carbohydrates or muscle fibers or, you know, undigested food basically coming through in, in stool testing and stuff like that. And yes, that can be due to a whole host of, you know, complications going on in the gastrointestinal tract, but you've got to start upstream where it all begins and that's with the chewing you know, and that's with the sitting down even like we have this, we have this amazing, you know, our, our sensory, our sensory factors come into play when it comes to eating. And I think sitting down and visually observing your food and actually taking the time to take a deep breath and de-stress, like don't eat while you're in this hypervigilant, you know, cortisol jack state, take time to sit down and actually look at your food and take it in and smell it. Like that actually kicks in, you know, that smell talks to your salivary glands, the salivary glands kick in and that, you know, talks to your stomach acid and boosts your stomach acid to, for digestion. And once your stomach acid boosts, it has a chat to your liver and says, hey, I need you to get ready to secrete some bile because we're going to have to emulsify some fat soon and that has a chat to your pancreas and says hey i need you to get ready because i need you to secrete some amylase to break down some carbs and some lipase for some fats and some protease for some proteins and so it's this beautiful kind of you know domino chemical reaction that when people actually take the time to sit down and eat and chew and enjoy their food it can actually work beautifully but the point is is that a lot of us don't so <laughs> so we're kind of just shoving food in hoping that our digestive system is going to be ready to handle it and she'll handle it for a time but there'll come a time where she doesn't and you know sometimes just going back to these these really primary fundamentals of eating can can really help so yeah I'm so big on that I always say that to my clients like sit down and like when you're having a meal, like make sure you sit down and actually treat it as a meal and don't yeah. be doing something else at the same time. Like, I think it's so important to chew your food, like taste the flavors, actually like be mindful about what you're eating. Um, and that will help so much with digestion as well, as you said. Yeah. And even just hundred percent. And I just even say to people, like we have two nervous systems or two nervous system states in our body. We have sympathetic and we have parasympathetic sympathetic your sympathetic nervous system is engaged when you are rushing around cortisol dominant jacked doing all the things blah 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 so excuse me um, and then your parasympathetic nervous system, you know, so you've got to think of your sympathetic nervous system like your fight or flight. So that's when we're, you know, at work, we're stressed, we're on the go, we're running around the shopping center, getting Christmas gifts for kids and doing all the things. So that's not the time to be eating because when you're in that, that sympathetic nervous system dominant state, your digestive processes are not kicked in. They are shut down because your, your brain is sending a signal, you know, communicating with your whole, you know, HPA axis or so your adrenals and all of that saying, we need to move, we need to be on the go. It's not talking to your digestive system saying hey let's break down that food because it's, it's that that's not how they work so to be in that rest and digest as opposed to fight or flight you need your parasympathetic nervous system to start wanting to be engaged and that's why you need to sit down you need to take that breath and you need to mindfully eat like I know it's a term that yeah everyone's throwing around at the moment but it is so true <laughs> Yeah, like you exactly. need, yeah you've got to do it yeah and I think one final point on that then would be like um when you're having your meals as well, because, you know, maybe the timing of when people are eating is, you know, a little bit more important than what they realize just when it comes to like actually being able to digest that food. Like how important would you say it is to like avoid eating like rich foods, like late at night, things like that? I think it really depends on the person mm -hmm. um, and how it, how it impacts their digestive system. Like some people, some people are, are pretty okay to just do that and go to bed. Um, I personally don't love eating late at night. I don't think, I think, you know, like 
I always try and talk to my clients like if you're going to bed at nine o'clock, you really want to be having dinner by six. And if you're someone who's up at you know up till eleven, maybe eight o'clock's the latest you want to be eating, sort of a thing. You don't want to be going to bed on. So funny. Really I'm like, I'll have a snack right before I go to bed. It's yeah, but some people are like you know really you know they have to stop eating two hours before going to bed or three hours before yeah. bed, otherwise it affects yeah. their sleep and digestion. So you're yeah, right. Everyone's so different and it's just even interesting like, you know, I know some clients that, you know, and it's just even this is where individualized nutrition comes into it because like where we're all so different, like some people do really well on a carby meal before they go to bed and there's a lot of research as to why that works in terms of cortisol and melatonin, which is your sleep hormone and all of that, whereas some people don't do well on that. They do better on a light protein and salad meal and, you know, earlier on. So it is definitely about what works for you. Some people can have a nice big rich whatever kind of meal that might be and go to bed on it. Nine times out of 10, I feel like most people are eating big, heavy, rich meals while the people are waking up in the night with heartburn or indigestion and things like that. Like I know my partner can be a shocker for that. He'll get up at, you know, 11 and guts a bag of chips or something like that. Like just, you know, he's a, he's a night eater. But then like he'll be up at 2 a.m. and he'll have heartburn. I'm like, well, it serves you right, buddy. You know, so, so so yeah. it is about it is definitely about what what definitely works works for you but um yeah yeah I think that's a, a good final point to end on I guess looking at like habits around eating as well if, if a person has some gut issues and um, looking first of all like at their habits around eating when they're eating you know throughout the day the types of foods they're eating as you said and then looking for signals from there to if there are certain foods that may be just triggering that little bit of bloating mm. or distress and then if it is something more severe more ongoing um, to look for professional help from someone like yourself who can do that functional testing and get to the root cause of the problem yeah and just ask the right questions I think the biggest thing is is that there's so much noise in the gut health space on online on social media at the moment and there's so much noise in what diet is the right diet to be following at the moment and, you know, I think we we need to take a step back from all of that and keep it simple and work out what works for us and then diversify a little bit. Like I say to a lot of my clients like you, we, you don't need to be adding 20 ingredients to your smoothie at the moment. Like let's just peel it back and make a nice macro balance, but simple, easy to digest smoothie. Once we've got your digestive system right, yeah, sure, we can focus on all these beautiful superfoods. But at the moment, you know, like let's just focus on getting the basics right and keep it simple. So, and there's the there's so much research now too that's coming out, like just even in the you know the whole food and fiber space, and um, you know like that more just eating just simple things like just just working towards getting more plants into your diet. Do you know what I mean? Like rather than thinking I've got to add all the superfoods, like which obviously I believe all foods are superfoods. So, but, you know, jumping on all the trends and the bandwagons and all of this, and I've got to add mushrooms because they'll help me, you know, um, powdered mushroom because they're going to help me live forever. And I love all that stuff. Like I think it's bloody great, but if you haven't got the basics right, they're just top-ups, they're just boosters. So you want to get the basics right first and then you can go into all these other cool little trendy sort of spaces that are happening. So yeah, I think 100%, most people can dramatically improve their, their gut health just by including more plant-based foods in their diet. 100%, Because yeah. that's going to bring in so many phytonutrients, antioxidants, and just going to help. Fiber. With <laughs> yeah. 
major yeah. one. I think like yeah. I, I think I've read a statistic about most Australians eating like less than the minimum daily requirement for fiber. I can't remember what percentage yeah. it was, but it's something crazy. Um, it'd be something crazy. I feel like the RDI for fiber or something is like 25 grams. And I feel like that is low, but most people don't even hit that. They probably hit, if they looked at their diet, they probably hit 12 to 15 grams across a day. And when we understand just coming back to the gut and the microbe space and what the microbe ne- microbes need for fuel and what they do really well on, and then for them to function at their best and produce our beautiful short chain fatty acids and in particular butyrate, which, you know, has positive effects on serotonin levels, like a happy neurotransmitter and all of these, you know, beautiful metabolites that keep our colon healthy. Like it all comes back to fiber and plant intake and and how diverse that is across your day and across your week so focusing just on that alone like i someone one of my clients um yes i was telling me about this really cool initiative that instead of like um because i feel like sometimes there's a lot of food shaming like you shouldn't eat this because it'll you know and, and instead of that it was just like just add five different plants to your diet each week that you haven't eaten eaten before like because I think a lot of times people just eat the same old same old because that's what works and it's easy but just every week make a conscious effort to bring in five new foods or three new foods whatever works for you and just even that with the extra bit of fiber that comes with that but also the effects of that will have on your gut microbiome over time in terms of diversity and and health is is really cool so there's just little simple changes that people can make you know that have big large-scale effects health-wise so Definitely. It's something I always say to my clients as well, like just, you know, trying to get in three to five servings of vegetables per day. The minimum we should be aiming for is five, obviously, but, you know, some yep. people starting small, going for three and building it up yep. from there. And then trying to, when you go shopping, find a new vegetable, you know, try to include more colors and eat the rainbow when it comes to your plant-based foods. And that's going to give you a lot more nutrients and antioxidants as well. And um, yep. one thing you mentioned there that I thought you might want to just circle back to for us for a second is the impact of fiber on the gut and gut microbiome and Mm. why it is important because I think a lot of people they're like okay I do need to eat more fiber but I don't really understand why it's important yeah cool so fiber oh my god where do I start (laughs) fiber probably in a nutshell so fiber is great because fiber before we get to the microbe section, fiber actually is a great elimination tool. So fiber in the gut, in the different types that it comes in, it, it will help bind up a lot of stuff. So fiber is what creates bulk to your poo, your stool basically, and creates consistency. So essentially the one of the biggest functions just from a functional point of view of our gastrointestinal tract and particularly our large bowel is to clear out waste essentially. Like that's why we have a poo every day, right? So fiber is crucial for that. So if you're not eating enough fiber, the chances are you're not going to be moving your bowels as regularly as you should be, or as, you know, we call it um, from an evacuation point of view, as complete as it should be. So purely from a, you know, a, a point of view with that in terms of carrying out toxins and toxic metabolites, fiber is ridiculously important, but it's gone beyond that now because we understand that most of our plant-based foods have some sort of prebiotic quality and when we're talking about prebiotic qualities we're talking about the different types of fibers in that food possessing a almost like a prebiotic um, food source for the bacteria in your gut microbiota which is obviously you know your large bowel so when we're talking about feeding up feeding up the colon and feeding up the oh sorry feeding up the microbes in the colon this is ridiculously important because 
the more diverse your types of fibre are and the more diverse your types of plants are, the more you're feeding up these beautiful populations of bacteria in the gut. So, you know, again, exactly like what you said, if someone's just a little bit out of the loop and they're like, well, I'm only eating three vegetables, three types of vegetables or five types of vegetables across a week even, and that's just what I stick to, beauty. You don't have to go out and all of a sudden eat 20 different types of vegetables. Start with two different types and just bring them into your repertoire because not only are you in increasing your fiber across the week you're changing over time what you're feeding up in your gut and that is where we're starting to see health really matters and the health of our gut and the far-reaching effects of that systemically when we're talking about the our immune system and our nervous system and all of that so yeah it's it's a really cool space to be involved in at the moment Awesome. I think you explained that so well. Thank you, Carissa. (laughs) And I I know we're on a little bit of a time limit today, but I think that kind of wraps up everything we wanted to talk about. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to mention? Um, No, I think just prioritize food and prioritize your meals. I think especially at this time of year, and I'm assuming this podcast will probably go up before the year's out. So I just, I, um, I just think, yeah, prioritize food and exactly what you're saying, Aoife, sitting down and mindfully eating, making sure you're having your, you know, your three good balanced meals a day and getting as much color and, you know, plant-based matter as you can into your life. And yeah, that's, if you want to do anything great for your health and your gut, like that's a great step and a great first step. So fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been great. No worries. Thanks for having me. And I'll pop your information in the show notes below. So if anyone does want to get in touch with you or find you, um, they can click on the links there. Um, or if you want to quickly tell everyone where you work and where to find you. Um, yeah, if you if anyone is interested in reaching out or anything, or if you've loved what we've chatted about, um, you can just find me on Instagram at Carissa and Nutrition. Um, the JCN Clinic is where I am most of the time. I'm working from home or in there. Um, so, yeah, that's got its own Instagram page as well, JCN Clinic. <laughs> um, yeah, so just, yeah, check it, check us out. There's a group of girls. Everyone's got heaps of cool stuff on their Instagram pages about gut health and food and hormones and recipes with Jess, the lady that owns the clinic. She's got an amazing website full of gut-loving resource recipes. Like, and you can type in any food intolerance you have and there will be a recipe for you. So yeah like that's all that'll all be linked in any of our instagram feeds so yeah we're not hard to find fantastic (laughs) i'll pop the the link to the jcn clinic below as well well thank you so much for coming on carissa thanks for having me Aoife. all right guys thanks for listening to today's guest interview with carissa i hope you got something out of the episode if you did please share it or leave a review and rating on apple itunes it's much appreciated by both of us if you do share it on instagram you can tag me at actively Efa, and you can tag carissa at carissa and nutrition both links are in the show notes below if you are interested in getting in touch with either of us i'll pop the links to both of our websites below as well Have a great rest of your day and I will speak to you in next week's episode.